Welcome back to On the Bench. I'm Josh Newberg. I got my road dogs back with me fresh off the trail from North Carolina, Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone. Uh, with our powers combined, we form Knowles 24-7. And for first-time listeners, this is our podcast. It's called On the Bench. Okay, so it's 7.30 p.m. on a Sunday night. You guys, Chris and Brendan, have been back in Tallahassee for all of about 10 minutes. So I'm a little bit surprised we're, we're doing this tonight. But when Chris Nee is ready to pod... We drop everything and we go pod. So uh, how you guys feeling? Tired. Uh, I hate that. I, I hate that. I'm looking at Chris's face again right now. Hi. <laughs> All right. Ten, 10 hours on the road in the same car. We'll do that to you. Let's get to Chris real quick. You do a great like two minute recap of everything. So, Chris, um, recap real quick. Wake Forest, Florida State last night. Florida State loses 22 to 20 at Wake Forest. They had plenty of opportunities in a game that, truthfully, the score is not really indicative of how it played out. Wake Forest settled for five field goals. They were six for six in the red zone, scoring one touchdown, and as I said, settling for five field goals. I thought Dave Clawson, head, co- head coach of Wake Forest, called a very conservative game, truthfully. And I was kind of surprised by that, but I was probably due in part to Sam Hartman, their reserve quarterback, playing instead of Jamie Newman. So they were probably a little hesitant to get real uh, – interesting in the tight zone of the uh, red zone so it uh you know the ending was no fun to put it simple fsu took the lead with about 11 minutes left in the game when tamori and terry caught a long touchdown pass from james blackman fsu then did not execute arguably the worst two-point conversion attempt in history uh you know i i I loved it i loved it i thought it was i don't even know how to describe it i mean it was so bad uh, as you give it back to Wake, Wake goes on a lengthy drive, about four and a half minutes. They settle for a field goal. That gives them a 22 to 20 lead at that point. FSU gets it back, drives down the field, sets up for a 50 yard field goal. Ricky Aguayo does what Ricky Aguayo has done lately, and that is miss Miss. They give it back to Wake. Wake runs off a little more time. FSU gets it back with about half a minute left on the clock, and then they fumble the next two snaps and kill the clock themselves. It was. The definition of it running down their leg at the end of the game, it was a very unimpressive showing. There was a whole lot during the 60 minutes that wasn't impressive, but the ending definitely left a sour taste in people's mouth. Uh, A few things I'd point out is FSU's defense actually did keep Wake under their season average of offense, but Wake still had some major success. Sage Surratt, receiver, had a huge game for them. Um, FSU's pass rush also was relatively non-existent. They did a good job of kind of keeping Hartman in a box but they didn't put them on the ground in the backfield very much. I believe they finished with two tackles lost, no sacks. They have now gone eight quarters without a sack. Not a good showing in that regard. Offensively, Cam Akers was a workhorse. He had 30 carries for 157 yards and a touchdown. He also caught a couple passes, including a 19-yard touchdown. He ran really hard on today. I thought it was one of the best games he's played here. Sadly, the blemish on that is going to be a fumble in the third quarter. That kind of killed a drive for FSU where they probably would have got some points out of it. Um, so that was a negative. James Blackman, very up and down, did not play very well in my estimation. Two touchdowns, one pick for him on the evening. He finished, you know, 27 for 43 for 280. Those numbers look good, but he was not very good. And I think he said in the postgame himself that he didn't play very well. All in all, just kind of frustrating. Felt, uh, you know, Tallahassee Democrat wrote Groundhog Day-ish. I think that's a fair way of putting it. It very much felt that way. FSU should not have left that stadium having played the kind of game they played. The second half was sloppy due in part to pretty heavy rain, but that was a known factor going into the evening. So you can prepare for that accordingly. Mm. 
Oh, one other thing, Emmett Rice played really, really well. Probably had the best game of his career. He racked up a hell of a lot of tackles on defense. And uh, actually, I thought the linebackers as a whole had the, one of their better showings of the season. Yeah, the defense came to play. Um, you know, it was a rough game. And we feel like we are a show of the people. We have a pulse of what's going on between Twitter and our unconquered message board. Um Oh, I'd we say, take the power and give it back to the people. I, I'd say um, there's a bit of panic out here in Old Nation right now. And we've been asked a lot of questions. Um, but there was a thread on the Unconquered Message Board from Tampa Knoll 776. Shout out to shout out to him. He has some great questions. And, and he entitled it. He wanted us three to answer them on the message board. But um, there's about six questions here. And we decided that it'd probably be a good discussion point for our podcast. So I'm going to read these questions from Tampa Knoll 776 and um, the three of us can go down and and answer them. I think a lot of you guys have similar questions. So let's start here. Um, do you do you think Taggart is guaranteed to be here next year, no matter what happens these next five games? So I'll just jump in there real quick. No, I don't think there are any guarantees um, based on what we've been hearing uh, going on behind the scenes. I don't I don't think there's any guarantee that Willie Taggart gets to see year three. Um, I think obviously he needs to f- coach for his job in these remaining games, but I, I do think there's scenarios that could play out where we see a different coach at Florida state in 2020. Yeah, I Chris? definitely agree with you. I, I don't think there's any guarantee. Obviously a lot of financial is involved in any decision that may be made. And that's something I'm not ready to dive into, but you know, he's owed a lot of money with a lot of years left on his contract. But I think last night drove home the point that the shortcomings of Willie Taggart as a head coach on the field are kind of one of those things that they're not going away. We're 19 games into this and we sort of know what the the deal is. Mm-hmm. Brendan, you want to chime in on that? What do you think? Uh, is Taggart guaranteed uh, to be here in year three? No, there, there isn't a guarantee. Uh, and I am interested to see, I guess what, you know what the the onus is for for parting ways with him if you did decide to to go away from Taggart before year three but there's no guarantees I think what Chris said is is appropriate uh, we kind of know what he is as a game manager I think uh, when you start looking at the big picture uh, what you're bringing into home games with apathy setting I know we see it on our message board every single day uh, with numbers you know, aren't necessarily as great as they should be in the middle of the week. Uh, you can see it like on our YouTube videos, the, the sessions aren't as good. Uh, people are, are very, very disinterested in this program right now. Uh, and and there's not really anything right now happening on the field that makes you think they're they're on the verge of, of breaking through to a level that gets you excited. And there isn't really anything on the recruiting trail that makes you think that they're going to shore up all their issues um, in the immediate future. So, uh, yeah, I think if administration – and boosters are, are really looking at the, the big picture of things, guys, like what gives you confidence to say that this is going, if you're not looking at the contract in which you owe Willie Taggart and your financial situation, if you just get a clean slate, like, would we be having this conversation right now? So yeah, there's certainly a scenario in which, which you part ways with him, I think before, be, before uh, next season. Okay. The next question kind of piggybacks off that. Any scenario where Taggart does let go after this season? Um, I've been making phone calls. Here's a little bit of scoop for you guys. This is what I'm hearing. I believe an exit strategy is being discussed. It's not a certainty right now. Nothing is done, but this is getting real. 
Um, I'm told that this is a situation where Jimmy Sexton and the FSU administration have been in touch. They have been talking directly about um, money and a potential buyout slash negotiation if it is to come to that. Um, so yeah, I, I think if in the scenario where Taggart does let go, it's if this team continues to go down the path that it's going, continues to play and make the same mistakes that it has. And on the business side, you know, there's a deal that gets struck in the, in the background. I don't think it happens today. I don't think it happens tomorrow. I think once that window closes in the next 24 to 48 hours, you know, we're most likely, you know, we're going to see Willie Taggart coach again at Florida state, unless something gets announced here in the next really 24 hours. So yeah, I, I do see a scenario where that happens. Um, I want to ask you guys this next question since it asks for FSU beat writer input and I don't consider myself a beat writer. So what is the vibe of the team in Taggart with all the FSU beat writers? Do they have confidence? Willie can turn this around. Uh, you guys have been on two straight road trips with all these guys. Um, what's the tone? I, I don't want to necessarily speak for other people. Like personally, uh, I, I think it's safe to say though that, that everyone who covers this team daily and, and has done so though for, you know, for years uh, and for all the Willie Taggart error are, uh, are skeptical. At least most of them are. And why wouldn't you be like, like uh, for what 95% of the fan base is feeling like we see the same thing and, and talk to even more people. And uh, from our own perspective, Josh, like how, how long have we kind of voiced concerns with the, you know, say the recruiting effort, the organization there, it's stuff we've been talking about since what, December of last year. Uh, and, and even Chris and I have seen some of the mismanagement of the team, you know, late last season as well. So there, there's certainly skepticism. And again, like I, why wouldn't there be at this point? I think you'd also like, it doesn't have to be one or the other, but like, you'd also say uh, it's not black and white. Like you could also say that there are ways in which the team's kind of improving, but to me it comes back to like, are you improving enough to what FSU caliber should be? Uh, and, and I think that's where you end up losing a lot of professionals and, and a lot of fans too. Like the standard, at Florida State isn't what we've seen in you know a, a season and a half under Willie Taggart. It just isn't. Chris, what do you think? What's the vibe? Does uh, it, what's the beat think? I'll put it real simple. The way last night played out in the end was not a surprise to anyone that's been covering this team the last two years, and I think that kind of speaks on just where the mindset is. That's the a good point. The way FSU kind of has it running down their leg, how they can't handle it, how they can't manage it how they're not prepared to overcome it, how they're not prepared to handle shortcomings they have, all those things, we just sort of expect it. It's become what? the norm, and it's not getting resolved, and I think that's the best way of putting it. I don't think anybody going to that post-game press conference last night was very surprised by the fact that FSU lost in the manner they did so with the end-game situations, the turnovers, the penalties, all the things that came together that left a whole lot to be desired. None of that was a surprise. If you've been covering this team closely for two years, Chris, when when I was on the field for the Ricky or for the Ricky Aguayo field goal attempt, and uh, and I was with another beat writer, and and I don't think either of us thought that it was a good idea. And there was kind of an eye roll. You were in the press box. Were you don't have to name names, but was was were there eye rolls going on before the attempt when when they were trotted him out there? Well, I think it was more to set up to it. The three plays they ran prior to two slow developing runs that they had and um, passing McKitty, I believe it was, it, where it just didn't gain a whole lot. Didn't really set them up in a good situation. You know, kicking a 50, 51-yard field goal in that range. I believe it was 50 officially. 
it was just sort of like, uh, this isn't how you go about winning this game. This isn't, you know, I, nobody currently covering this team thinks Ricky Aguayo is at all reliable because he's not reliable. He hasn't. But the, been but the head, but the head coach does. I mean, that's the well, crazy the head part. Coach may very so it depends how the coin flips, Brendan. The head coach may very likely lose his job because he put his trust in a guy who's completely unreliable, which is a condemnation on his decision making as a head coach. I mean, I put that on the message board earlier today when someone asked, like, if your job is theoretically even even remotely close to on the line, let's say let's say the job's on the line and results are really starting to matter now and you put your faith in a guy who missed four out of his last five field goals was 500 on the season. Uh, and, and you basically have had competitions openly for him the last couple weeks, like, and, and that in a wet field, 50 yard field goal, you iced him. Uh, and that was his first field goal of the game. Uh, even if he made it like, yeah, I don't want to play just the results here. Like the, the process to the conclusion of that game was, was confusing. And I think everyone who covers the team, wasn't shocked that's how that was going but it was more just like all right here here we go again man like this is this is really what they're this is really what willie's tying himself to and it's unfortunate and it's kind of cringeworthy and uh i think we all want to see the program do better than than that it's unfortunate the next question and i think i can answer this for all of us is the administration willing to clean house if the boosters come up with the money to buy out taggart at this point, I think this is a, a mainly a financial decision and a financial decision that, you know, I think the boosters and the administration will make together. Um, I think the, 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 the big question is, is, is the money there? Um, I think it also depends on how this team plays. I mean, I think the money can be there if it needs to be there. And I think that's kind of the message that we've all received, that if the administration is ready to pull the trigger and pull the plug, then the money's going to be there. I think we've, we've all heard that the money is there, not even can be there. The money is there if they decide to go that route. I think that's safe to say we've all heard it from different people at this point. Not that, it's, UL, not that it's easy, but, but you have it. Sorry, Chris. After the ULM game, obviously, program was not in a very good place that night, even though FSU won. I was told there was conversations had by the powers that be to kind of, you know, figure out all contingencies that they had to move forward in different directions. You know, if they had to go different paths as a program, can they handle this? Can they handle that? How do we go about doing this? Do we stick with this guy? Do we go to a new guy? All those kind of things. And I was told financials were obviously part of that conversation. And basically, if the money was there and needed to be there to handle a change of situation, it would be. Um, That being said, ultimately, the decision in part is, you know, is the cost of, Moving on and being done with Willie Taggart and potentially others on staff financially more viable than sticking with him and causing a loss in ticket sales, booster donations, et cetera, et cetera, and the incoming money for the program. Do you do you hit the reset button again, kind of go through what has now obviously become a full-blown rebuild and try to figure it out better with another guy at the helm? there's a lot of financials there. You're, you're asking people to give money to get rid of a guy and then give money to hire a new guy and everything that comes with football programs are part of that. And if it doesn't work next time, eventually people are going to get sick of you asking. So you got to deal with that dynamic. There's just so much to it, but ultimately would they have the money to do it if they want to make a change? I believe the answer to that is yes. 
they're not a financially rich university, but they're not so poor that it can't afford it, especially when it appears they're losing money in the current situation they're in. Next question. Do you think we win against Cuse, Miami, BC, Alabama, and Florida? I mean, I, I can speak for us all. I think outside of Alabama State and Florida, the other three games are all a coin flip. We, we have no idea what's going to happen in those. I mean, FSU could win them. FSU could lose them. Just depends which team shows up that day on both sides of the ball. Syracuse, Miami, Boston College have all been kind of up and down wildly um, all over the board. And then Alabama State and Florida, I think those are, are pretty much guaranteed. You get a win, win at Alabama State and a loss with Florida. So, no, um, I don't think any of us think that FSU is going to run the table from here on out. Uh, the last question is more interesting than that one I just read. So let me get right to it. Chris or Brendan. Why do you think Willie has stuck with James Blackman? I think because that was who he felt the starter was going into the season, that he rode him to this point. I think last night we started two quarterback system die for all intents and purposes. But truthfully, I mean, Willie spoke after the game, and so he thought James played pretty well. I'm not sure reviewing the film is going to tell him the same story. It wouldn't shock me if they maybe shake it up and go with Alex next time out and see if he performs better. Chris or Brendan – yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say it's kind of a misnomer, like like misnomer. Sorry, James, like he he's stuck with James, but he also hasn't. Like he's kind of created this quarterback controversy with with the two quarterback system and uh, trying to you know integrate Alex Hornibrook in uh, in a rotational basis. And uh, I do legitimately wonder what that has done for James Blackman's psyche. Not that he had a great showing against Virginia, uh. But, but now he's looking over his shoulder constantly, uh, and I don't think that's good for him. I think he's pressing and enforcing things. And I remember at the time thinking, like, okay, when when they started kind of trying to do this balancing act of using both, that it didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, but but this past this past game was was by far, I think, James' worst game in terms of making reads. I had missed some against Virginia. This this was far far more frustrating to watch because he just had some wide open guys and. A lot of people are going to point to that Keith Gavin uh, avoidance on on fourth down and him not even seeing Gavin lined up there and James just kind of hurrying and and, and, and rushing to to try to get the conversion. But there were a lot of other throws, you know, that, that we could see from the press box when we were able to see the full field where he's just not keen in on guys uh, who were who open. That probably happened three or four times, and that's in addition to to not throwing the you know the football away when he was under pressure and it ends up being an interception in the red zone in the first half. So. I don't think it's fair, though, to say Willie has stuck with James Blackman. I, I think he's created some issues where uh, it hasn't helped James mm-hmm. out at all. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think also, guys, like, it's it's not a great situation. They don't have a quarterback who's ideal for what Kendall Browse wants to run. I think we've seen that in the way that Willie Taggart has kind of handled James Blackman throughout his career, that he's not a, a full believer in James. Uh, and hence it looks like there's a lot of indecision in how he handles the quarterback position. I don't think that's productive long-term for, for James or Alex or, or any other quarterback that comes through here to, to be kind of handled the way they have been this season. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, I want to get more into the game itself, talk about some of the issues that we've been seeing, not only in this game, but in past. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. 
Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. And we are back on the bench. I'm Josh Newberg, Chris Nee, Brendan Sinone with me. Um, let's get into the game a little bit. Something that we talked about last week was play calling and, and who's actually doing it. Brendan, in the second half of this game, you noticed and you were looking down, I'm sure, with your little binoculars. I'm picturing They're not you right little now. binoculars. They're big. <laughs> looking down. Um, we haven't confirmed it, and you're definitely going to ask it tomorrow in the presser. But what did you see? Well, I had heard earlier in the week uh, that that there was the potential for, for Willie Taggart to be more involved uh, with the play calling on offense this week. And, uh, and, and so that was something I was keeping an eye on and, and pay more attention to than, than say I normally would throughout the game, even though I do like to use the binoculars, but, but like last week I left my binoculars at home. So <laughs> and that was problematic. Uh, but, but what I saw was, uh, I'll try to paint the picture as best as I can. Uh, but this is really what it looked like was how Willie Taggart operated as a play caller early on at his FSU tenure. And, and when he was at USF and, and that's essentially uh, Willie Taggart is in his headset. He's looking down at his play sheet and he keeps looking over down the sideline and talking to someone through the headset, but looking over at someone uh, in the general direction of where Kendall Bryles is. Uh, and Kendall Bryles is calling in the plays uh, with the hand signals and whatnot and in the tempo offense. Uh, the way it looks is like Willie Taggart's ahead of the play. And, and that's how it would work at USF. He would have someone uh, basically he'd be looking at a, at a run play or pass play, depending on the situation and would give you know, then you'd have the options to, to call it in based on what you think. Uh, you know, I tweeted that out today and I mentioned it in the game thread last night too, that that, that was happening that I heard that was a possibility for Willie to be more involved uh, to what extent, like, I don't know. I can't confirm and say like, for sure it was a hundred percent him making the decisions. Uh, I was able to end up confirming at least with, with someone else today who would have really good knowledge of this, that, that there was at least uh, some, uh, interaction between Willie and Kendall Browns with, with how the play calling was going. So Willie was involved this week for sure. Uh, it's something I do want to ask Willie and see what he thinks. But at this point, I've had two people say that, that Willie Taggart was going to be involved in the play calling this week. Again, to the extent I don't want this to be like, this was a hundred percent Willie Taggart calling everything deal. Uh, but he was involved. I think people, uh, and you probably saw it on Twitter, Josh are a little skeptical because they want Kendall Browns to have full autonomy of, of uh, of the play calling, given that he's a million dollar man and and brought in to to run this offense, uh, to me it kind of came off at times like it was a mishmash and kind of a uh, uh, them agreeing to things almost as, as how it looked. And you could tell Willie Taggart likes a lot of the long developing uh, you know, screenplays to the perimeter and 
and some of the the trickery and and, and whatnot. So it seemed like that that was integrated into the play calling, uh, how that affects momentum and whatnot. Man, I I, you know, I don't know, but it did seem like there was a difference in what we've seen in recent weeks. Yeah, but I think this week more than any uh, fans have been outspoken and critical of Kendall Bryles. Florida State didn't put up their average. Uh, I don't. What is Florida State's average on offense this year? Prior to that, going into that game, I, I want to say thirty-two or so. Is in okay, that so they were well below over. their well below their scoring average. Um, Chris, what was your general thoughts on play calling in this game? Do you think it differed? Do you think uh, you know things have changed? Uh, they ran the ball a little bit more. They were a little more aggressive with that, but that actually was a good thing. I thought the line blocked fairly well for run blocking. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Cam Akers ran it really well. FSU kind of sabotaged themselves. They got in the Wake territory several times, but they only got the three touchdowns. They had the first drive that ended on downs with a really poorly executed fourth down play for them. They had the interception where they were running the ball really well during that drive, and they decided to pass it, and it gets picked. It literally was a definition of FSU football in 2019 as far as self-sabotage. And then uh, the fumble that we referenced with – Cam Akers ended on an 11-play drive that had gone 50 yards and had FSU knocking on the 10-yard line, which was almost certainly going to generate points. Even Ricky Aguayo can make a 25-yard field goal. Um, and then, obviously, we had the endgame situation with the back-to-back drives where they had the missed field goal. They, again, were in Wake territory set up, given it was a long field goal, but three points that didn't get put on the board. And then the end-of-game situation where they're trying to do something to get themselves in position to have a shot at kicking one. And, you know, they run the two plays for negative 12 yards with back-to-back fumbles. So that makes the play calling look a whole lot worse, and it makes the scoreboard look a whole lot less for FSU um, as far as their ability to put it up. They had, you know, three to four drives there that they could have generated more points on that they got nothing out of. So I think play calling will be critiqued, and I think it's fair. There was definitely some issues on the evening with some of the decisions made. But FSU's execution, which falls on both coaches and players, was also poor in many situations. Okay, well, we're going to check on that. Tomorrow's Willie Taggart's going to speak at noon. So I'm sure he's going to get a couple questions on play calling, and we'll see if he clarifies it or not. The next topic we were going to hit on was the quarterback position, but I feel like we answered a lot of the topics that I wanted to talk about. So the only remaining question I have to you guys is, who's going to be the starting quarterback moving forward? That that silence is deafening, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't. It's the million dollar question. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, so I do have a few thoughts on on James Blackman. I alluded to it earlier. Uh, you guys know I'm a fan of him. I think I've defended him more than than most, and I think more than a lot of people on our message board are comfortable with. He was bad on on Saturday, and I think what's concerning to me, guys, is that he he seems to be regressing in some ways. He's not having fun. Uh, and that's a strength of his. We talked a little bit about his his emotional disposition before and, and him not handling the ups and downs very well. But doesn't seem to have confidence in this offensive line. Uh, Chris had mentioned this during the game. I'm concerned that he's you know seeing ghosts. What's a you know, proverbial uh, you know, feeling pressure that isn't there? He's seeing ghosts. It is spooky season after all. Uh, but but he is feeling pressure that isn't necessarily there. He's rushing things. I, listen, he. There were five drops uh, Florida State receivers had the other day or on Saturday, so that didn't help things either. But it all kind of leads to for me to say like that that James is seemingly taking a step back. He he isn't progressing the way you want him to in the scheme. I think this comes back to to the you know coordinator and coach having different ideas of what they want the offense to look like and trying to 
to, to mesh things a little bit, that doesn't help. Uh, but essentially, like you're seeing regression in the last couple of weeks. I know Clemson isn't necessarily a fair sample size, but that continued against Wake Forest where he didn't play a particularly clean game. Uh, you want to have continuity at that position. You don't want to be moving guys back and forth, back and forth. I think FSU's done that this year, and that hasn't helped uh, either of the quarterbacks. But uh, you know, if, if James is indeed taking a step backwards and and dealing with confidence issues, uh, then you have to look at Alex Hornerbrook because you can't have your quarterback struggling with confidence. That's just that's something that you can't have. That's killer. That's going to lead to more losses. Uh, so in that sense, I, I see the upside of, of Alex Hornerbrook if if this coaching staff has mismanaged James Blackman to this point. I I kind of have a feeling that they they have to some extent. So the way will so hold on. I'm going to try to the TLDR on that one is you think Hornybrook's going to start in the next game. Is that what you essentially if, told me? If I had to put money on it right now on, on Sunday evening paycheck. after a 10 hour, oh, that's not much after a 10 hour car ride, uh, and, and you know, four hours of sleep. Yeah, man, I, I, I Alex Hornerbrook is who I think starts for them this upcoming okay. week. Well, we'll try to do another pod later in this week. I'll give you, I'll I'm cranky you right now. Alex Hornerbrook, damn it. Okay. Chris, you got anything to add to that? The way Willie spoke about Blackman after the game, and he may have been covering for him to some degree, I got the feeling he's going to stick with him if it's ultimately his decision. But they're three and four, and they're entering desperate seasons, so decisions are going to kind of be made on the fly if they think something's going to help them. So I, I think the competition is fairly open this week in practice. It wouldn't shock me if they go with Alex at all. I agree with uh, Sinone that. James really hasn't played very well the last two weeks at all, and that there are some issues starting to show in his game that are concerning that aren't because of the fact the O-line isn't very good or aren't you know receivers dropping balls. It's things that James can fully control, and he's struggling to control. So I think there's certainly a possibility they make the change, but if I was betting money today, I'd probably stick with James. Okay. Stay here, Chris. I want to talk O-line with you. Um, we saw some new combinations this week. What did you think of uh, – I don't I don't want to call it FSU's new look offensive line, but what did you think of some of these combos? Well, some of it was forced upon them by injuries. Bavion right. got banged up. Brady Scott got banged up. Juwan Williams isn't 100%. Abdul Bello isn't any good. Um, Darius Washington played a good bit. <laughs> I thought he did well for a guy getting thrown in the fire as a true freshman at a position that's probably not his strongest position moving forward. He didn't play great, but he was competitive. He played hard. He did some good things. He got some help too. They moved tight ends over there, used the back some to help him out. I, you know, I thought it was positive. You're looking for something to grow with the O line, and it's good to see a kid who's a freshman willing to kind of put his helmet down and bang somebody. Uh, I thought Andrew Patelli is actually really good at center. Personally, I thought he played very well. He's a very good snapper. We've talked about that in the past. I thought he did a good job getting out of spot and working forward. FSU found a lot of running success with the interior line of uh, Lucas, Minshew, and Baselli. And, you know, that's when Akers did some of his best work. Minshew is built like an elephant. And when he's able to work forward as a road grader, he can open up some holes and they're able to run a little bit behind him. So there, there's some positives with that. The O-line still isn't very good as a whole at all. It's still a major, major issue in pass blocking, but they were able to kind of push a pile some uh, last evening and find some success with the running game. But the O-line is what it is. It's never going to be great this year. I don't think they found some magic elixir that makes it a whole lot better. I think they did find some combos that can have some success doing some specific things and game planning. 
hear me out. Would it optim? Would this optimize the offensive line if we could have Baselli at center? Could Bavion play guard? Yes, he played guard a little bit last. I'm saying, year. do you guys think he would be an effective guard? I mean, I think I the guards aren't the issue of all the problems that they have up yeah. front, right? Like, I, I think Dante Lucas is a fixture at right guard is only going to get better. He keeps emotions in check, and if Cole Minshew continues to get in game shape, like, I, I, and then Brady Scott's fine. Like, I don't think that's the issue, Josh. Uh, I don't think that's the issue. I don't think you need to move Bavion Johnson necessarily. If Andrew Baselli is better at center than Bavion, then just go with that, I guess. And I don't know if moving him to guard allows you to kick a guard out to tackle in that left tackle that, spot yes. where you're having so many issues. I don't know if there's a guy who really works at that left tackle spot. Brady Scott, maybe? Yeah, that but, seems dicey. Yeah, Brady has his shortcomings. I don't know that he would be a drastic improvement at left tackle. I don't. The, the simple version is I don't think they really have an answer at left tackle currently on the roster. And I think that uh, to Chris's point earlier about the offensive line, and I know it was against Wake Forest's defensive front. Wake Forest isn't really all that good on defense, making the you know the, the twenty points all the more disappointing. Uh, but that little stretch that they had when they had uh, Darius Washington, Cole Minshew, Andrew Baselli, and then the, the normal right side uh, with Lucas and Roberts, uh, that to me like felt like the most efficient an offensive line has looked, and it didn't look great. Uh, but you at least saw like a semblance of some physicality and guys with some confidence uh, among that front five. And, and it's been so long since we've seen that it like gave me a little bit of optimism. And, it, and here we were talking about a true freshman at left guard and at right guard, a guy who we didn't think would probably play another snap of, of football in Minshew, uh, a guy who went from on off the roster to walk on and, and now in scholarship in Baselli and then a, a graduate transfer in Ryan Roberts, like makeshift offensive line, but it actually felt good for a little bit. For a low little bar, bit. low bar. I know. All right. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Um, I don't really have too much to go. What about this week? What can we expect this week? I kind of laid out the timetable. Do you guys agree with me that if nothing happens in the next 24, maybe 36 hours with Taggart, that it's safe to say he's going to be coaching this weekend, right? I think if we get through Monday, that would be weird if you let him go in right. the middle of the week. I agree. Okay. Yeah, so what, the, guy, the guy is scheduled to have a press conference on Monday at noon. If you're firing him at 2 p.m., don't waste his time. Let him get out of the press conference for his. Don't waste. And don't don't waste our time either. Right. I, I do. They're they're in a predicament here with rumor season getting underway, and I know we're participating in those rumors to some degree. But I think there's some legitimacy to everything that's going on right now. It gets real dicey for them being three and four, you know, battling for what they're trying to battle for, dealing with recruiting, dealing with rumors. That That's a whole lot on their plate. So if a move is going to be made, I don't know how you can hesitate and it be worthwhile for all parties involved. I would just yeah. say that much. I think you got to put it to bed or do it. Like, I don't think you can live in the in-between and have success as a program and what you're trying to do long term. All right, before we go, Brandon, did you want to talk about Dante Lucas or yeah. anything else that's dangling out there right now? Yeah, the Dante Lucas pregame stuff was a uh, – I thought it was entertaining. I got video of it. I believe you know uh, Wayne McGay, he did as well. And it was basically Dante Lucas, who is playing well as a true freshman, uh, is easily FSU's best offensive lineman right now despite being a true freshman, uh, came off the bus at Wake Forest, uh, skipping, hopping around uh, – very animated. And, uh, you know, we, 
he did. He had energy, and I was like, oh, that's funny. And then a few minutes later, I, you know, Chris and I, after we got video, we did a little Facebook Live. I know you like to get your sessions there on the Facebook, Josh. It helps traffic. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I did that. And then, uh, and then after that, walked out into the field with Chris. We're about to go up back into the press box, and I wanted to just take a little, little look around, see who, you know, who was there. FSU doesn't give us a travel roster, and I want to see you know, who was walking around. Uh, and I see Dante Lucas skipping around on the field still. Again, I'm entertained by it. It's a 300-pound guy skipping. Uh, but then I noticed, Chris, can I say what he was saying? You think? No. Can I repeat it? Hey, Chris. you saw it. It happened. It's real. <laughs> uh, he, he kept going around to uh, to wake Forest players as they were stretching on the other side of the fifty. And I don't know if he was pointing out to anyone specifically, but he just kept saying, he kept saying, "You ass, you ass, you ass." Kept calling everyone ass, which again I thought was funny. I didn't get that on video, but but what I did get on video was uh. What's going? Someone's got a party going on. Uh, what I did get on video was was Dante, you know, dancing around and stuff. And then uh, Willie Taggart had to come over and and tell Dante to kind of calm down and and had to kind of you know, in, uh, like an aggressive way by any means, just just more like a father, like, hey man, you know, calm down. Uh, and then Dante even before the game doing the same thing, like during during the uh, during like the the coin, sorry, the coin toss. Uh, Willie had to do that again. Odell Hagens had to do that again and, and put their hand around Dante and tell him to cool down a little bit. We saw him. You got a, a holding penalty early on. Uh, seemed like he was a little distracted even during the uh, the final drive of the game uh, where he wasn't paying quite attention to, to the situation. Uh, so that's a work in progress. But but Josh, did you happen to hear, I guess I didn't hear it specifically, the, uh, the way uh, the ACC network talked about it? I guess I guess they talked about it and they did a little not not a segment, but during the game they didn't mention that 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 they happened. They mentioned I guess, it. They showed okay. it a couple. I think they showed it once or twice, and um, you know they could have brought it up obviously at the end <laughs> to 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 paint a picture of you know Florida State barking with no bite. But no, they 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 just mentioned it in the beginning. Okay. I don't think they made a big deal out of it. I I just know it was polarizing I, I, among I mean, the fan me, base. Look, this team hasn't showed much fight. He's at least a freshman. Um, he's trying to bring in a different tone, a different mentality. It's not a great look. It's not the best way to do it. But I'm not going to fault somebody that's maybe erring on the side of bringing too much energy. Yeah, I'm with you, Josh. I didn't have an issue with it. I thought that people, you know, obviously, you lose and it's a bad look, and, and the result matters, I guess. There, but even beforehand, the the reaction was pretty polarizing. Some were all about it. Some wanted Willie to let him keep going. Uh, others, uh, others thought it was not a good look for the program, and I think that's kind of where we're at. And in the grand scheme of things, is as everything's being uh, really super analyzed, and we just spent two minutes on it. So I, I thought it was funny though, and I didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Chris, anything you want to add? Just, not maybe that, to that, but just to the pod. You good? Uh, no. I, regarding that, I'm pretty indifferent. Competitive juice is flying. Maybe culture needs to be better with regards to kind of handling it in a proper manner and, you know, not carrying on as it seemed to carry on. And let me tell you, Wake very much enjoyed the post game when they ran across the field letting FSU you know they just won. Uh, and I'm sure that had a little bit to do with that, um, which I'm interested. I watched the replay, but it was an abbreviated version. I want to watch the full one to see if they actually showed a Wake players kind of yelling at the FSU huddle on the field at the end of the game because that was pretty not funny but it it was clear carryover from the pregame 
Only other thing I would add is, I mean, FSU is in a tough spot. You know, people were like, oh, they can win a lot of these games. They don't win road games. They've won one ACC road game under Willie Taggart. So let's not go counting BC as an automatic victory. I don't care how much the Eagles aren't very good. FSU is not very good either. And the other issue is that FSU can't put together back-to-back-to-back wins. They've struggled mightily at doing that. So their ability to get to six or seven wins is going to be a battle. I do think they'll get to at least six wins. That's where I currently stand on all that. But it's not as easy as just it's going to happen. I obviously expect them to beat Alabama State. I currently expect them to lose Florida. But those other games are sort of a flip of the coin. You know, those teams aren't very good. FSU has shown themselves not to be very good in a lot of situations. So I just would caution people of being, you know, fully expecting to go into the dredges and not win six games. And I'd also caution people that believe they can still win seven games or more. I just... They're not, you know, they're an unpredictable bunch because they're not consistent at anything they do, nor disciplined at most of what they do. Agreed. This week, it's going to be a little funny. Uh, there's going to be a lot of rumors. We know it. But here's what we do know. Willie Taggart, we'll speak to him on Monday. He, he always speaks at noon. So if you hear of a delay or if you hear something out of the ordinary, uh, come to Knowles 24-7. Kendall Bryles. He speaks on Tuesday. What time do you guys usually get Kendall Bryles? Nine-ish. Nine-ish. And then on Wednesday around the same time, Harlan Barnett. Thursday, we speak to Willie Taggart for the final time before the Syracuse game. And that is the regular schedule. So any deviations from that, you know, we'll have it covered on Knowles 24-7. I think this is a good time to put it to rest, let you guys get your rest, and we'll have more on Monday. So – For Chris Nee, for Brennan Sinone, I'm Josh Newberg. This is Knowles 24-7 on the Bench Podcast. I need my beauty sleep. Mm. It ain't going to be pretty, Brennan.